Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's program, we've got our Oscar nominations, snubs, and surprises. What Hasbro will do with its movie universe and why Captain America the First Avenger has us battling a civil war. All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back for another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being here and listening to us each and every episode, whether it's the PCC Multiverse or the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. We just cannot thank you enough for doing so. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without my main man. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanican Media. It is Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. Just uh, checking out the old Oscar nominations. And we're going to get to that. But uh, yeah, I'm just I'm excited to talk about this. And I noticed Ghost Toasters was unfortunately one of those projects that was snubbed in the most recent nominations list. I know we get robbed every year and I always send them passive aggressive emails. And they never send anything back to me. Better luck next year, my friend. It's going to be a great episode we have for you today. We've got a lot of great stuff to talk about. Rob McCallum is going to be standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's got a lot to talk about when it comes to Hasbro and their movie universe. Plus, also as well, Josh and I are going to be talking about Dragon Ball Fighters. And I'll tell you what, it goes with a whole line of iterations for that series. Josh and I will talk a little bit more on why that series has been so enduring. How Just how many iterations are there in this video game series? We'll talk about that as well coming up. Plus, Alex Very from Little Big PR representing Madcats, talking about all the great things Madcats has coming up this year in 2018. And why Captain America, the first Avenger, well, we have a difference of opinion on that one. But first, it is Oscar nominations week. They were announced this past Tuesday. And I'll tell you what. There was a lot of great stuff going on when it comes to a lot of great and deserving nominees that were announced. Of course, leading the way was The Shape of Water. Guillermo del Toro, his movie got 13 nominations in total. Our pick of the year for best film, 
Blade Runner 2049 also got several nominations as far as from a technical standpoint. That was kind of a snub as far as Best Picture, we think. You know, that was kind of a bummer. But we've got some more snubs and surprises that really stood out to us one way or the other. So, Josh, I ask you first, my friend, what are your thoughts on the Oscar nominations? There's a lot of diversity, in my opinion. There's still a lot more work left to do in that area. But it was actually pretty good representation all across the board. But I know there were some snubs and surprises that stuck out to you. What are your thoughts on the Oscar nominations for 2018? Yeah, so I'm surprised that Blade Runner 2049 didn't make it to Best Picture because I know you and I really like the movie, but like there's stuff like here, like Phantom Thread, I've been hearing from a whole lot of people was not that great. Blade Runner 2049 came onto the scene. It had such great writing, great editing, great cinematography. And I see it's nominated for some stuff down at the bottom of this list here, but you know, the fact that it didn't make Best Picture surprises me, especially over, like, some of these other ones that are out here. Like, I'm glad Dunkirk is on there, but, you know, if you would have asked me what movie was better, I would have told you Blade Runner 2049. You know, a lot of the other movies that are on here, I'm not exactly surprised they're on here. And, yes, there is a lot of there is a lot of diversity. I'm glad to see I, um, Margot Robbie getting something for I, Tonya. I, Tonya, did you see that movie? I, Tanya, no, I have not seen yet, but I have heard great things about specifically her performance. Her being Margot Robbie was truly brilliant as far as Tanya Harding. And I know she got a nomination for Best Actress, so she was carrying that movie all the way as far as for a, a nomination. But yeah, I agree with you. Blade Runner 2049 for us stood out as a premier movie event. Yes, it might have been a little bit too long, but compared to some of these other films, Basically, there was two, two and a half hours of sheer brilliance that superseded any th- type of criticism you could throw at it. And just basically is just truly one of the best films of last year. And I'm, uh, I'm not surprised that it didn't get nominated because it wasn't going in. It didn't have a whole lot of momentum. I think a lot of the financial endings for it, the financial actual conclusion that it didn't meet expectations kind of, I think, weighed into that that kind of decision-making for a lot of voters. So that, to me, was disappointing. But I know you've got a lot more to talk about when it comes to snubs and surprises as well. Yeah. So do you know what I was, I you know, I thought might get some kind of uh, nomination for maybe like makeup and hair category would be it. Like that, that one had very good costume design the makeup was good even like the kids and 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 well the clown especially but like i'm surprised that didn't get nominated for anything that really surprises me you know i'm glad to see guillermo del toro getting nominated for um shape of water it's nice to see that you know what really got the snub this year was the uh trans last transformers movie just yeah i don't know why that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting to see how long it would take you to, uh, <laughs> to, to look up. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Maybe sound editing, but you know, that's oh, nice. Just throw on a, throw on any dubstep song. You'll get the same. There thing. you go. <laughs> um, but I noticed a, one, a movie that we thought was a little bit underrated, even though the actor involved didn't really stand out, which is probably why the movie was held back. But Valerian, which was so beautiful to look at, at least yes. as far as FX, uh, a special effects standpoint, it got nominated. I don't think that movie was marketed right. Like, I, you know, it wasn't that great, but I, I think it got kind of the snub in the marketing. It's the same thing with Logan Lucky. I was hoping to see that on here for something. Um, for Daniel Craig's performance, which was truly awesome. And I Daniel thought Craig, it was yeah. well 
deserving of it. Yeah, yeah. And the the editing in that movie was really good too, but I don't see anyone getting no nominations for that. Baby Driver got that, and it was weird because those movies kind of came out at the same time. But I think Baby Driver was marketed a lot better and had a bigger name, Edgar Wright behind it. And then um, when uh, Logan Lucky came out, everyone just thought that it was a, like a lesser Walmart version of Baby Driver, and I don't think it got the attention it deserved. There's a lot I'm not surprised to see on here. You got Lady Bird and Get Out and. Uh, you know, Phantom Thread. I don't even know why Phantom Thread is on this list. Like, from what I understand, the movie was not that good. But I don't know who decides these things. But Daniel Day-Lewis is a favorite amongst Oscar voters, and he said this was his last performance. So until next year, you know, until next year. Yeah, I know. But you know, a lot, that's they get all sentimental as far as voting process. Instead of sometimes looking at the total picture, but I am happy for Get Out. I think Get Out is well deserving of all of its nominations. I really think that is an incredible movie in and of itself. So I'm very happy about that. But you had some others as well. I'm glad to see Dunkirk got on the list. Dark Darkest Hour was good. Um, you know, I saw Shape of Water, but I didn't see like three billboards or the Post or anything. I heard good things about the Post, but again, I heard it was just like every other Tom Hanks movie that's out there. What are your thoughts on some of these? I know we've we've discussed a lot of these, you know, in previous episodes, but you know, where are you standing on these nominations? Well, I will say Logan not getting a best picture nomination is something that I was kind of disappointed in. I I thought that was also one of our top 10 movies as well. Wonder Woman not getting a nomination. I'm not surprised. I know some people are. They're saying it got snubbed, but I kind of think it it takes a lot of elements from a movie that we're going to be talking about later, Captain America, the can first I, Avenger. Can I ask you something on this real quick, though? I've yeah. heard I've heard that being brought up multiple times with Wonder Woman. And, you know, while it, we've talked about it before, but while it was, a, it was a decent flick, I don't think it had anything that stood out that would make it worthy of an Oscar, except the fact that, you know, it had a strong female lead and a strong female director. I, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I thought I scored it pretty high. And in fact, I actually put it as the number 10 film of my choice in 2018. But be that as it may, there were still nine films I preferred ahead of it. And I have not seen Three Billboards. I have not seen Phantom Thread. I have not seen Shape of Water. So I can't judge you know, that we're nominated against Wonder Woman. But I'm not surprised personally, because like I said, for me, it was just squeaking in as a top 10 film. Because Logan Lucky, for me, would have uh, been close to something like that. But it reminded me too much of uh, the Oceans movies as far as that's concerned. It, it felt too oceany and then also a little bit too uh, unbelievable in as far as the setup and how they pulled everything off for it to be in that upper echelon of movies, even though, like I said, Daniel Craig was so great in it. But there were some other snubs that I thought, well, one of them, I guess you could say, is was, was expected, and that's James Franco in The Disaster Artist, which... I think also got snubbed as well as a film because that is one of my top five films of last year, but I understand the circumstances and I I don't condone any of the actions that were reported that are allegated against James Franco. So I can see why a lot of voters were turned off by both his performance, which won a golden globe and which is probably the best performance of the year from a male actor in, you know, looking upon it. But I can understand why people didn't vote for it. And obviously, the allegations against him caused him not to get a nomination. And also, the movie he directed 
the disaster artist to not get a nomination as well. But I don't know if you would call it a snub or, or not call it a snub. I don't know how to word that because it's, it's such a tricky situation you have to deal with there because obviously you can't condone what went on if those allegations are correct. But also, like I said, Logan, for me, as a Best Picture nomination, was kind of a snub, in my opinion. Yeah, with James Franco, it's sad because if the allegations aren't true, that was his shot to get something out of that film. But no, I agree. Logan should have been on there. It had great, uh, you know, the editing was good. Directing was good. had good sound. You know, unfortunately, we don't see a lot of superhero movies make the Oscars, except for, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. That Guardians of the Galaxy was actually nominated for something before, too, wasn't it? The first one? Yeah, it was, but not, you know, anything major as far as that's concerned. These superhero movies, as of yet, have not reached through that that wall of critical praise to the point where it will get nominated for a, a Academy Award. I even didn't think Spider-Man Homecoming, which I actually graded higher than Wonder Woman, would actually get a nomination as well. I, I just don't think enough momentum was behind either movie. I know a lot of people wanted to push Wonder Woman, but I just know Wonder Woman itself as a movie, just uh, it, it's there, it's close, it's in that, in, that, in, in that conversation, but it's just not quite enough for to get it in there. I just don't think it really uh, stood out enough. And I think, I don't think it was a original enough story for it to be in that upper echelon of movies. Even with uh, you know, the caliber of acting like Wonder Woman had, I don't see a superhero movie making it into these categories anytime soon, except for best sound or something like that. Now, mind you, Logan got nominated for best adapted screenplay and that's kind of like a consolation prize, but still I thought it deserved a lot more when it came to that. And, you know, you could have even thrown Hugh Jackman's performance in that ahead of The Greatest Showman. That was a better performance in 2017 from him than The Greatest Showman, which seemed to get a lot more push as far as for him as an actor. But there were a lot of snubs and surprises in this year's list of Oscar nominations for 2018. I know Josh and I will be going over those nominations with a fine tooth comb in the weeks ahead as it leads up into the Oscars. And just before the Oscars get announced, I know Josh and I are going to come back on the show and also make sure we give our thoughts on who should win the Oscars for 2018 in each of the major categories. We'll be giving our thoughts on that in an upcoming episode as it gets closer to the big day. What are your thoughts on the Oscar nominations for 2018? Were there any surprises in your mind? Were there any movies or performances in the nominations that stuck out? Or did you see something that got snubbed that you really feel strongly should have been nominated? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, we've got another great episode for you. Like I said, we've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire and a whole lot more. And Josh later on and I will battle out in our own Captain America Civil War as we talk about the first Captain America movie, The First Avenger. All that and a lot more. But first, we've got our good friend, Elijah Harrison, better known as Plasma Z. And this is Mango. And this is the PCC Multiverse.
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. ESO. Seven years of keeping it really geeky. The Earth Station One podcast. It's time to let your inner geek out to play. You can find them at www.earthstationone.com or up on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Peace, and we're done. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thanks again for sticking around and listening to us here on the show. And, well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without the man, the myth, the legend from Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out all of his work and all the great things he's doing on robmccallumfilms.com and also as well his latest venture, Backed or Busted Crowdfunding. You can go ahead and type that up on Facebook, and it comes right up. It's Rob McCallum. What's going hey, on, man? Not much. Good to be back. Uh, and Thanks for the plug on Backed or Busted. It's going incredibly well. And uh, as a result of that, not only have I seen an uptick in consultation requests and people reaching out to know a little bit more about crowdfunding, but we are finally mechanizing, uh, at least I am, not much of a we situation. I'm finally mechanizing uh, my first ever live seminar for crowdfunding so i'm going to be looking to do that probably late march early april on a one day kind of workshop intensive course in my hometown of london ontario i'm going to sit there and basically talk to a bunch of interested people who want to know a little bit more about crowdfunding and basically uh showcase the back or busted method and what works what doesn't work what you can do to up your odds uh to make your dream project truly amazing and come to fruition well, that sounds awesome indeed. And if they want to find out more about this seminar, where do they need to go? They just need to go over to facebook.com slash Bacter Busted Crowdfunding, like you said. And in Facebook, just type Bacter Busted Crowdfunding, and uh, you'll be taken to our page. Give it a like, and when we start to create the event, you'll see exactly what's going on there. Will there be any Nintendo Quest stories? There might be. I mean, it's always nice for me to break down the campaigns I've done and showcase what worked and what didn't work in terms of crowdfunding uh, rather than maybe make an example out of other people. And it's one thing that I might do on an upcoming episode of Back to Busted is take a look at one of my uh, previous examples of what worked and what didn't work in the pitfalls. And, and believe me, uh, you know, Nintendo Quest in particular, the second uh, campaign we did, both were successful, but the second one was really uh, well received. We you know, raised over $40,000. We were only looking for $1,000 to get going, but there was a lot of pitfalls in that. And there are still a lot of headaches uh, that are ongoing as a result of the promises we made with that campaign. So lots to learn in that regard and lots to talk about too. Well, we've got a lot of great things to talk about in pop culture. So pray tell Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to the world of pop culture? First item up for discussion are the Oscars. Now, this is the hot buzz story of the week, of course, because there are new rules in place for handing out the envelopes. Everybody remembers the debacle of, was it Moonlight and, and La La Land last year, where the, the wrong Best Picture winner uh, was announced, and oh my goodness, the film industry has barely recovered since. So now, the Academy has decided that they're going to include a third person as part of the envelope handing off team. They're going to be in the sound booth. And the two people that are backstage that are handing out the envelope to the presenters, plus the third person, are all going to be brand new. There's no returning envelope handlers from last year. Thank goodness that none of these people are back to destroy our lives with these golden statues to honor everybody. 
all three are going to be at the practices and all the dry run through so that they can really hone their craft. And really, some of them are going to go as far as memorizing the winners so that there's no possible issues with this catastrophe happening again that wiped out and destroyed egos everywhere in Hollywood. Well, I'll say this. Uh, you worked in the film industry. I worked in the film industry. We know how Hollywood overreacts to simply just everything. No, that... this is not an overreaction. This must be done. I'm surprised <laughs> that it took this long to announce. I'm outraged these rules weren't in place before. What is going on? If the Golden Globes can get it right, why are the, why are the, the Academy Awards, the Oscars, not able to, to make this happen in a, in a standardized way? This, this is repugnant. I can uh, sense just a little hint of sarcasm there in your voice, but okay, I'll play off with you on that. Well, you know, it was a tragedy and it's, it's a travesty or anything else you want to apply to it that you know, what happened happened just seemed like a, a simple mistake gone wrong. But we've seen that before with, well, Steve Harvey, he was able to survive from it. And I think the Academy and, and the law firm that you know holds that in place as far as the secret they're trying to take extra steps. That's great to see, but my gosh, it, it, you know, like I like said earlier, Hollywood just has a tendency to overblow stuff. Hey, they blew it on a name. Everybody does it. It's human. What, what are you going to do? But it's nice to see that they're taking extra steps. Although, you know, pay me. I'll sit in a sound booth for three hours. That would be but cool. Terrell, by me. Do you have the training? Do you have the dedication, the diligence to go the distance? to completely zero in with 150,000% focus to hand an envelope to somebody. Because heaven forbid, a mistake happens on live television. And the winner is Blade wrong, Runner 2049. I mean, get out, get out, get out. It was you get out, get out. You don't say the winner is. You've, you've already lost the job. You don't say the winner is. It's the, <laughs> the Oscar goes to. What is wrong with you? You're the reason the industry is failing, Gerald. What is wrong? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just uh, old habits died hard. But there you go. Yeah. Have I made my point about how ridiculous this is yet? You have indeed. Yes, yes, you have indeed. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this is, like I said, it's Hollywood. They overreact over everything. Speaking of stuff that audiences are not going to see, news comes out of the Hasbro universe that both Mask and Rom the Space Knight have been dropped from the Hasbro uh, combined universe. This is, of course, the universe that looked to combine Transformers, G.I. Joe, Micronauts, Visionaries, and at one point, Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command, which is a really cool property, and Rom the Space Knight. Uh, does this matter is the big question. Allegedly, they had worked out 11 films in the writer's room, which comprised of a lot of, I would say, pretty, uh, pretty heavy hitters in terms of writers and what they're able to do. Heavyweights, if you will. But studio politics continue to be the main issue for this universe coming together, and it's been derailing the, the progress of everything happening. Does this matter that Mask and Rom the Space Knight are, are being dropped out of this? Will they have a future outside of this? Were those toys and, and, that, and those brands too small to live on their own? Do we need more toy-based blockbusters and films? Well, I'll say this. Those two properties are a little bit uh, under the radar, as far as from an overall standpoint, I think I would equate it to Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, Marvel and its Marvel Cinematic Universe was really going strong when they decided to greenlight Guardians of the Galaxy, which was not such a well-known property at the time. 
they, but they have confidence in their product and they had a lot of confidence that they could put out any type of project that they could put out with a good storyline attached to it and it would make it happen as far as for box office. And they were right with Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, coming over to the Hasbro side of it, with the declining numbers of Transformers, with G.I. Joe being right now at a, well, I guess pretty much at a quiet point in time because the last G.I. Joe came out several years ago now, it, it would be a risky proposition to bring out and make those same kind of chances with those not so well-known properties, even if a good story and a, and a good production is attached to it, that's a lot of dollars Hasbro would commit to that may not see a great investment in return. I, I 100% agree that these properties, especially ROM the Space Knight, fall really below what people kind of traditionally remember as a, as a great property. Now, I'm an 80s kid, so when I think of 80s toy lines and cartoons that are memorable, you know, I'm thinking He-Man, Thundercats, Transformers, G.I. Joe are like the big four. You know, Ninja Turtles is up there. And then I start thinking about the, the lower tiers. Once you get out of the, those top four, top five, then you get into Mask. Then you get into like Silverhawks, Visionaries, Centurions, Sectars. Those kind of one-off, one-season runs that had some cool concepts that were visually interesting, but didn't necessarily have the staying power to stick around. Now, that said, out of all the, the lesser shows that exist, I do believe that Mask is the strongest brand, or at least the strongest concept, I guess, is the best way to kind of describe it. And for everybody that doesn't know Mask, it is essentially G.I. Joe meets Transformers. Uh, the action figures were a little bit smaller than G.I. Joe, but you had uh, characters, heroes, and villains that were fighting each other, much like Joe and Cobra. It was Mask versus Venom. And they would put on a mask on their head and it would transform their vehicles into different forms. Or the vehicles had two different stages in the mask. And the mask that they donned basically helped them control it. So they put on the helmet and it, it allowed them to kind of manipulate their, their vehicles in different ways. So it really combined G.I. Joe and Transformers to the best of the ability. The toys were really expensive when they came out, but they were really cool as well. So, but but they, bar people barely remember them. And that's the problem right there in a nutshell is that it, you, you said yourself it was a limited run at best. And I barely, when I was reading and it's, and it's that, not even a limited run too, Gerald. What's interesting is there, I think, are two seasons of Mask. One where it's a G.I. Joe clone. And the second one where it's Speed Racer. The second season of Mask is all about racing each other in a Speed Racer-like setup where it's Mask versus Venom on the racetrack where their cars transform during the race and stuff. So it's not even kind of like an all-out war kind of deal in the way that G.I. Joe fought Cobra. I think that's a great opportunity. Or at least introduce it as part of the next Transformers or Bumblebee spinoff movie or what have you within that context of the film and see if it flies, see if it's something that audiences are interested in. Because we've seen before where something gets introduced into a larger film project and it gets noticed, it gets attention, and thus gets spun off on its own if it actually becomes a successful property in its own right. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. If you have any questions for Rob in the Cosmic Crossfire or for us as well at Pop Culture Cosmos, just feel free to give us a shout out, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films, Bacter Busted Crowdfunding, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. And if somebody has a project they want you to look at as far as backed or busted crowdfunding, 
What's the email again? It's crowdfunding spectacular ninety nine at gmail.com. That's crowdfunding spectacular ninety nine at gmail.com, all one word. But hey, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Rob McZob or of course through our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Bactor Busted Crowdfunding. Rob, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the show and look forward to having you on soon again with the Pop Culture Cosmos and of course right here in the midst of the Cosmic Crossfire. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thank you for sticking with us. We truly appreciate it. Josh, before I head into all the different ways that you can catch our programs here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, please let us know what's going on with your awesome, awesome channel known as Humanican Media. Ooh, a channel is such a a harsh word these days because YouTube decided. How, how to about a, network? How about net, network? Network seems, yeah, okay, all right, I can I can deal with that. Experience. Experience. I like that one. Not in three D though, because uh, you know, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I just put out an episode of What About This Today? Episode fifteen's out, and they're talking about the old. Uh, indie film versus blockbuster as far as the future of cinema goes um you know it's a pretty interesting episode we got new topic apocalypse coming out tomorrow um inside sports new episode will be up tomorrow and then we have new super bs cast on tuesday nights and you can check us out tuesday nights still on the podcast radio network and that's it man that's right. That's Attack of the Humanicans every Tuesday night on the Podcast Radio Network, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. As far as the PCC Multiverse, you can check us out on the Podcast Radio Network, Croc Radio, Good Talk Radio, Western Digital Broadcasting, and also you can download our show, the PCC Multiverse, on any of these formats. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Tangent Bound Network, the ESO Network, the Gunny Geek Network, and we're on over a dozen more podcast options, including, as Josh pointed out to me this week, we're now on Podbean. So you can check us out by typing in a search on Podbean, Pop Culture Cosmos. It comes right up. And you get both of our shows, our Monday show, which is the Pop Culture Cosmos or the PCC Multiverse. And if you download our shows, we always throw in a bonus there just for listening and for schedules and times on those great shows just check out our Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmos. It's pinned right there for you, and it tells you all the days and times we are streamed live on the air. So, Josh, I made an error in our last show. Oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah, that's, that I did, that I did. I only mentioned two of the video game releases this week in the games Monster Hunter World and also as well Mutant League Football. But there was another major release coming out this week that everybody needs to know about. And maybe I take it for granted because a lot of people in the gaming industry take it for granted because it is just, I, I, I'll say it, I'll come out and say it right now. 
I think it's the Energizer Bunny of video game iterations. And the reason why I'm saying that, it is the Dragon Ball series with Dragon Ball Fighters coming out this weekend for all the major platforms. And I'll tell you what, it comes in a long, and I mean long line of iterations in the Dragon Ball series. And as someone who knows anime like Josh, I know he's excited for it. And Josh, I just want to ask, okay, you and I both are, have become somewhat familiar with the Dragon Ball series over the years. But did you know, it, depending on who you talk to, depending on what site you read, or depending on what information you get, this could be anywhere from the 90th to the 96th different iteration of the Dragon Ball series in a video game, arcade, or computer game format. I was unaware of that, but it doesn't surprise me. I loved Dragon Ball when I was a kid. I'm not, I mean, even go, uh, through high school. When I was, I was 23 and I went out and bought the entire series. So, yeah, I'm a Dragon Ball fan. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they have that because I know I've talked to different people. You know, they had a lot of uh, Dragon Ball Z games on the original PlayStation and PlayStation 2. And I, you know, I knew kids friends who would go out and they'd buy the uh, little computer chips and put it in their PlayStation so they could play the imported versions. And I know a lot of people who bought these games just because they had story pieces and original animations that weren't in the original Dragon Ball. So they wanted to see all these characters that were there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't see why having so many games is a bad thing. And this, this new one looks fun. It's if it's managed to stay alive this long and they're still making new games, obviously it's selling. But, you know, I'm curious to know. I, I you know, I might even pick one of these games up because I know Xenoverse just hit, came out on Nintendo Switch. You ever picked up the old uh, Dragon Ball? I'll put it to you like this, Josh. As I told you way back in the day, in around 2007, 2008, I used to run game stores. And I had someone come up to me one time and ask, uh... Do you happen to have the latest Dragon Ball video game? And I said, well, what Dragon Ball iteration are you looking for? What Dragon Ball games are out right now? Well, let me go into a few. Did you want Dragon Ball? Did you want Dragon Ball Z? Did you want Dragon Ball Budokai? Did you want Dragon Ball Z Tenkaichi? Did you want Dragon Ball Z Tenkaichi 2, Tenkaichi 3? Did you want Dragon Ball GT? Did you want Dragon Ball Z Sagas? Did you want Dragon Ball Budokai Tenkaichi? Did you want Super Dragon Ball Z? I, the list goes on and on. Are you assuming that all Dragon Ball fans talk with high-pitched voices? Well, no. <laughs> you know, maybe I had some helium before we started the podcast. Safe, safe assumption, safe assumption. Safe assumption, indeed. But there's just so many different iterations that are out there. Yes, I have had a chance to to give it a give it a whirl, but to keep up with that series is almost impossible. And to have played the entire series is even harder because from arcades to PC to handhelds to mobile to consoles to you name it, it's just been all over the place, but the Dragon Ball series lives on and lives on strong as Dragon Ball Fighter Z hits consoles this weekend. And I, I like you said, Josh is interested in trying it. I'm actually interested in trying it too. So if you're a fan of the Dragon Ball series, as we are with the anime and just, I think it the series as a whole 
was one of the first standouts in the anime field and they just the the animations that you get when when you're in the middle of the fight it just uh, truly a hallmark of the series and i just i've just enjoyed it over the years myself and i know josh has as well so if you get a chance give dragon ball fighter z a try and if you haven't delved into any of the dragon ball series before and you're looking for a great place to start just start anywhere because there's so many of them out there. It doesn't really matter. There's a lot of great games, some stinkers in there too. But basically when you play them, it gives you the idea why the Dragon Ball series is so beloved and why the series has been so consistently under the radar, but still selling very strongly each time out and why there's still a demand for Dragon Ball series games, no matter what series it is. Any last thoughts on the Dragon Ball series? Tenkaichi, Budokai, Budokai Tenkaichi, Sagas, any other? I probably won't go running out to buy any new ones anytime soon, but I always thought that it'd be cool if they had like an open world Dragon Ball game where you just fly all over the map and go do different things. Like that would be something and I would definitely jump back into it, that series to play something like that. So that's Josh Peterson, developer of the 97th iteration of the Dragon Ball series. No, I'm just kidding. But it, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of great ways that that Dragon Ball series is, has been over the years. And uh, like, well, like I said, when I used to run the game stores, we would have almost literally a row of games dedicated to the Dragon Ball series. And, and that's why it's just been so popular over the years in Japan, but also has maintained a strong foothold in the North American and also European markets. And it looks like this beloved series is going to continue for some time to come. So what are your thoughts on the Dragon Ball series? Do you still follow it today? Have you played any of the almost 100 different iterations that are out there? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanic Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back, we're going to be talking the revival of a accessory brand, which we thought was long dead, but it has returned. We're talking Mad Cats from CES 2018. And right after, Josh and I will be having our civil war over Captain America, the first Avenger. This is the PCC Multiverse. Coming off the heels of the internationally acclaimed and award-winning documentary, Missing Mom, we're in the final stages to release Kitty, Origins and Evolutions. Check out this heavy metal biopic that explores the ups and downs of rock and roll for the women in Kitty who blazed a trail in the music industry in the face of unthinkable adversity. Kitty, Origins and Evolutions releases this year from Rob McCallum Films, the year to set your future on fire. Alex Very from Little Big PR representing Mad Cats, talking about all the great things Mad Cats has coming up this year in 2018. So uh, so we are here at the uh, Mad Cats Suite, CES 2018, taking a look at the Rat Air. This is the brand new state-of-the-art mouse system from Mad Cats. Uh, the Rat is still uh, the most unique, highly regarded uh, gaming mouse on the market today, and this is the state-of-the-art, cutting-edge Rat Air. Uh, this uses uh, super uh, Supercapacitor technology, thank you very much. Supercapacitor technology to power the mouse. So it's completely wireless, but it doesn't feature an onboard battery system. Uh, that's what makes it incredibly light and incredibly fun to use. 
Instead, it's drawing power um, from the surface, from the gaming surface that ships alongside the Rat Air. Uh, the gaming surface on ours has got RGB lighting. Uh, it has uh, the largest play area and provides more power than any other similar system on the market, so it truly is cutting edge. Uh, the mouse itself, incredibly responsive, uh, adjustable DPI, uh, adjustable palm rest, um, programmable buttons, just as, uh, as any gamer will know and love from previous rat mice. Um, so this model is going to be uh, shipping late summer from Mad Cats, and, uh, and we're really, really proud to get that one out into the marketplace. In terms of keyboards, we have two new keyboards here. We have the Strike 2 and the Strike 4. We're taking a look at the Strike 4. That's our, our cutting edge uh, premium keyboard as well. It's the first from Mad Cats to use cherry brown switches. Uh, so we're using full mechanical keys on this keyboard. Uh, solid aluminum faceplate as well. Incredibly well built. Uh, using the Mad Cats Flux software that ships alongside this product, you can customize each and every key uh, for your own RGB lighting, uh, full macros, anti-ghosting, just as you would expect. Uh, we also then have the Strike 2 keyboard, which is its smaller brother. Uh, this uses um, an especially developed membrane technology developed in-house at Madcats to provide the look, feel, and responsiveness uh, that very, very similarly matches that of mechanical keys, but this is a membrane keyboard and, uh, and therefore ships at a, uh, a more uh, cost-effective price. Uh, as we walk around, I guess, if we're doing a little tour here. That's right, because Mad Cats, as you stated, is back in the game again. It's good to have Mad Cats back in the consumer electronics marketplace and what it would be without Mad Cats being without, uh, you know, going heavily back into full fold the, the mice market with, with a lot of great gaming and uh, really some powerful mice you got right here. Well, that's just it. We are back in the game. And uh, I think the, uh, the world of peripherals has certainly been a, uh, a slightly more dull place without Mad Cats. And like a phoenix from the ashes, it is great to be back again with new attitude, new ideas, and new products. Uh, this little headset solution we've got here, this is a new concept. This is called the ES Pro. Uh, this is designed for gamers that really like to, to play in a tournament but don't like the, the feel uh, of, a, of a dedicated gaming headset. Uh, so these are in-ear buds. You've got these little rubber hooks that sit inside the ear, so stop them falling out, which is a problem that you get with a lot of in-ear uh, regular headphones. Uh, it has a flexible boom mic that you can see here as well. So you've got a flexible boom mic, which is perfect for tournament play. Uh, if you're on a quiet environment and you don't need the audio to be quite as sharp, then you can detach that boom mic and it has a secondary microphone built in for, uh, for casual chat. But for tournament gamers, you can attach the boom mic and away you go. Uh, this is going to be the first product to ship from the new Mad Cats. That's going to be around April, May of this year. Uh, as we move down the line, you can see a whole host, a stack plethora and a cornucopia of different rats. So. Uh, my cat is taking the rat very seriously. Everything from the entry level rat one, uh, which really is, um, it's just got an adjustable palm rest, but it's an incredibly light, uh, very basic version of the rat. We go up to the rat two, which is the first time you've implementing an RGB color onto the rat range. Uh, we have products like the S3, we have the 6 plus. The 6 plus over here has got uh, interchangeable weights, so you can remove the weights on that. Uh, the S3 as well, incredibly customizable. Full RGB lighting, as you can see, uh, uh, programmable buttons. We're using Omron switches as well, which have been tested to 30 million hits, so incredibly reactive and incredibly robust to use. Uh, as we move on over to the line, we have flagships like uh, 
This is the uh, this is the X3. This is the Rat Pro X3, which is an evolution of a product that we launched at the old Mad Cats. Uh, this is the world's most customizable mouse. It ships with a whole host of different accessories from different side plates to different feet. You can actually put on different feet onto the uh, onto the uh, onto the product, so you can take the feet on or off, and you can actually swap them over should you wish. So it ships with Teflon feet and glass feet. Uh, you can actually take out the sensor module should you wish. This ships with a brand new Pixar optical sensor module. Uh, we're going to do different replaceable sensor modules on there. Uh, you can ratchet up the little thumb wheel and you can start uh, adjusting the, uh, the tension on the, on the thumb dial. You can swap out the, uh, the metal component, put on rubber there should you wish. So it really is the world's most customable mouse. And this is now full RGB lighting as well, which uh, you never saw on the old version of the Rat Pro. Um, we also have a new headset over here. This is the brand new Freak headset from Madcats. This is the Freak 4, uh, which is a 7.1, virtual 7.1 surround sound headset. Uh, full aluminum frame here, incredibly comfortable, adjusts to the size and shape of your head. Uh, very heavily padded ear cups and heavily padded head rail here. Uh, using 40 millimeter neodymium drivers and RGB lighting on the headset as well. Uh, and then you have the retractable boom mic too. So uh, that flips away when you're not using it. So uh, this again is gonna be shipping uh, like most of the other products late summer is when we're scheduled to start shipping the Freak 4. Uh, we do a cheaper version which doesn't have the, um, the RGB lights and it's just a stereo headset and that's called the Freak 2. Uh, and that is going to be shipping alongside the Freak 4 as well. Absolutely, but still, there's even more products that uh, Madcats is still coming out with in the near future, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're not stopping. Even the, the gaming services, we have a whole new range of gaming services. We have the 19, the 21, this is the flagship 38. This is a 38-inch gaming surface. Uh, you can actually roll these up and you can put them in the washing machine when they get all gross and gunky uh, and so you can clean these up really easily. We have a concept over here, excuse me, this is called the Rat Chameleon, um, which is a plug and play gaming surface uh, solution that has full RGB lighting. You can take the inserts out and you can replace them with different material, be it cloth, be it rubber, be it fabric, uh, and these are fully washable as well and uh, just adds a really cool RGB light show to your gaming rig. Ah, that's awesome. And like I said, uh, it's great to see Mad Cats once again back in the game. Uh, back, uh, and like you said, uh, with a more focused product line, with something that really a lot of people are really going to be interested in when all these great products come out. Well, uh, I think a real cat has got nine lives. I don't know how many lives the new Mad Cats has, but uh, we're back, baby. Back in the game, and uh, we can't wait to show you some more of what we're cooking up. Uh, as the year progresses. Sounds good. Truly appreciate your time. No, not at all. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the Pop Culture Cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I, that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted and this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. 
That's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We thank you for sticking with us and... We appreciate you for standing by, and I want to thank our, my good friend Rob McCallum for being on the show in the Cosmic Crossfire and sharing his thoughts. Alex Very from Little Big PR representing Mad Cats. You tell us exactly what's going on with the future and revival of this game accessory brand, which, yes, it does have its fans and does have its champions and did have a little bit of the opposite as well, depending on who you spoke to, but it's nice to see this company getting back off the ground again and, and being part of the video game culture. So Josh, as part of our continuing series and breakdown of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, leading into Black Panther, and of course, uh, coming up in May, also as well, the Avengers Infinity War. Speaking of Avengers, we're talking about the first one himself, we're up to Captain America, the first Avenger. Josh, you and I have quite a bit of a difference of opinion. We thought we had one in Thor, although at, at, you know when I first started talking about Thor, we did have a, quite a bit of a, a difference of opinion on Thor, but you over the years, you've kind of mellowed on it, especially because of Thor Ragnarok. Well, with me, I think Captain America, the first Avenger, is a pretty solid film and i also think it's a very very easy watch and I, I like i said before wonder woman takes a lot of its elements from captain america the first avenger in my opinion as far as the way it structured its movie when she left her island so i ask you josh you have quite a bit of a difference than, than i do on captain america the first avenger I rate it fairly high on my list in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which you can find on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But you have a difference of opinion on Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah, so I, you know, I liked it a lot when it first came out. But then, you know, Captain America, the Winter Sol Soldier came out. And then, like, I was like, dang, so that's what a Captain America movie can be like. So now anytime I go back to watch the first Avenger, I, it feels so comic-y to me that I can't, um, you know, I, it just is lacking that realism that a lot of like the phase two movies have. And maybe, you know, it's just a product of the time, perhaps. Um, that, 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 I think that's why you're, you're thinking that is because it is based in World War II as opposed to a modern day setting where he still looks like he can match up very well against those who oppose him. So... Uh, that I mean, I just right. I, I'm willing I, I am willing to go ahead and separate the two, but it's obviously a lot. You and a lot of other people can't as well. Yeah, you know, and this is just me. I've always struggled with, 
you know, I know this is his comic origins and he came out during World War II as kind of a, uh, you know, a hope, a hope signal for kids and stuff like that. But, you know, when it comes to like World War II stuff in movies, like I always feel, I don't, I don't want to say like it's disrespectful, but I like it's just lacking that emotional realism that like a war movie should have. So like they're kind of making light of World War II and I get that, you know, I have no problems with what they're doing, but it just... It's hard for me to watch, to have a movie that changes genres like that. You know, you go from the superhero to World War II genre. So I'm like, it's hard to make that switch for me, um, especially, you know, after seeing movies like Saving Private Ryan. And yeah, just, about, just what I was going to say, it's not Saving yeah. Private Ryan in that opening sequence. I mean, that is one of the most impactful 15 minutes I've ever seen in my life the first time I saw that in theaters. But it is not that, and I'm not going to try and tell you that. But Captain America, the first Avenger, for me, tells a simplistic, easy-to-watch story that doesn't go out of its way to try to do much except for tell the basic premise of how Captain America came to be. And for me, as someone who has seen Captain America go on and become you know, so much greater in our modern time frame with the Avengers and the Winter Soldier and also Civil War and obviously his other appearances as well with Ultron and whatnot, I, I just feel like I'm able to differentiate the, the two a little bit more. And I see it as a, this is his humble beginnings. And I think it tells a nice, neat, wrapped in a bow story of how he came to be. But that's just me. I kind of like it. I kind of dig it. Whenever it came on FX, I always watched it still. For me, it's also, you know, just, just an easy watch with the kids and whatnot. But I can see why you think it is just so hard to watch seeing his, you know, his great performances in the winter soldier primarily and also Ultron Avengers and civil war. I know a lot of people like civil war as well. So be that as it may, I think there's, there's a little bit of a different opinion. It, it's like Thor, like you said, Thor has changed over the years because when you watch Thor Ragnarok, it defeats a lot of what Thor does. The same thing with the captain America movies that have followed the first adventure that a lot, what has been done in those movies kind of takes away from what was done in the first Avenger. I, like I said, I still can be able to differentiate the two, but I, I can understand why someone can't, or, or in this case, you, you are not able to, and, and why it is not as appealing to you as it once was. Right. And, um, you know, I'm not saying I don't like it. I, I will. I, I'll go back and watch it. It's easier for me to go back and rewatch that than is the Incredible Hulk. You know, looking back as like a film critic, like, you know, looking back on stuff now, I see like, you know, I feel like Hugo Weaving, like there's so much more they could have gotten out of that story. Like the Red Skull is a huge villain for Cap and Chance Star. We're never going to see him again. You know, and then there was the... Uh, the uh what what's his name the they didn't really explain like the what happened to uh the, the short guy zol something what's his name oh zola Dr. Zola. zola and they just kind of assumed like there was no bridge to show how he got involved with shield they kind of talk about it a little bit more but i would have liked to see maybe like a little easter egg there if they're well, it's it is mentioned in the winter soldier briefly how he was recruited by by shield to work with them given almost like an ultimatum to to work with him but you, you know and the when we talk about the winter soldier it yeah his actual what he was there to do and what he ultimately did were two very different things but 
I can understand why. And actually, it just feels like it's a shorter movie. It probably isn't, but it feels like it's a shorter movie than the others in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it's. It just seems like it just goes right from A to Z really quickly for me, anyways. But I definitely feel that the first Avengers still stands up fairly well when I watch it every single time. But I, I can understand why if somebody really appreciates the Captain America of now. They can't really enjoy the Captain America in the first Avenger. What are your thoughts on Captain America, the first Avenger? Do you still like it after all these years? Or do you think after so many appearances by Captain America in the modern setting that seeing him in his World War II origin is just not the same as it once was? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, Josh, it's been another great episode. Do you have any last thoughts before we head on out? No, I'm actually about to finish uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Got on pause here, so... We'll, hurry uh, up, Gerald. Yeah, hurry up, Gerald. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my, my thoughts on this, uh, this game next time we talk. Yeah, fair enough. Only a couple years after it released, but we won't go there. It is definitely a great game, and I'm glad he's enjoying it, and glad he's finally getting a chance to to play it. And I hope everyone out there does as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Cheryl Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Super. Super. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Brank from Super BS. Today I got something special. We're interviewing um, Moritz Wagner from uh, Me, Me, Me Games. And uh, you here, my, my bud? Hey, yeah. Nice to be here. And if I just butchered that pronunciation, is it Me, Me, Me or is it Me, 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 Me? It's Me, Me, Me. It's, it's, okay. it's fine. You, you did it How did you, you did well. come up with that name? <laughs> um, we were... It was in, like the studio was founded from people who studied together in university, and we already chose that name there. 
And it basically was always about us crying, complaining about the program crashing or, oh, this doesn't work. And it's like me, 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 you know, the, the, the crying <laughs> sound. And our logo is a crying girl as well called Mimi. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, yeah. So that's where it came from. And it, it was started as a joke, basically. And we did it as a project name during studies, not as a company name, but it just stuck with us and we liked it and people respond to it. So we kept it. Well, I like it. I just was wondering, I was like, maybe it has some really big background meaning that I didn't nah. pick up on. <laughs> um, well, anyways, Moritz, uh, since from me, 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 um, how long have you been in the gaming industry? I put that in quotes just because it's such a weird thing nowadays. Yeah, uh, I think um, if you count my studies as well, it will be nine years now. Um Otherwise, we started the company after studying directly. So that's six, seven years of professional game development now. Wow, man. That's actually a good chunk of time. Um, what were you doing before Me, Me, Me? So I was... Uh, during my school time, I was a semi-professional Warcraft 3 player. Uh, I did a lot of esports. But I mean, that's over 10 years ago. So esports was different then. It wasn't the the huge thing it is now where everybody says, yeah, this is the future. We're going to spend a lot of money. You still could make money. But in order to actually really live from it, like pay your rent and all that, you would have to be one of the top five guys in the world or maybe 15 guys in the world. So... Yeah, I was just, I made my money, but I lived at my parents' house and was at school, so I, I didn't need to pay rent. So yeah, I was eSports player back then. And then I started studying Chinese after finishing school because I thought uh, I want to do something that's not math, which is pretty weird for a game designer, I know, but uh, I hated math at school. I regret that now. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I wanted to do a language. I like languages, and I wanted to do one that I think I thought could help me in global business stuff, whatever. And I thought, yeah, Chinese, China is huge. Uh, people need people who can speak Chinese. I did that for a year. Turns out it wasn't what I wanted to do. And <laughs> yeah, then my dad kind of found this. Uh, he, he saw that I wasn't really happy uh, doing that, and he, he found the game development studies thing. And then I did that. Oh, that's excellent. So, Nihoi Shojungwan Ma. Yeah. Chinese still? I understand it, but um, it's very shaky. I have almost nothing left. I would have to it, refresh it in a, in a sort of, yeah, I don't know, it's four all right. weeks in China or something, and, and I, then I could say three sentences or something. Yeah, I live there and I can really only say a handful of words and maybe two sentences. It's so hard. Um, back to Professional Warcraft 3. What yeah. faction did you play as? Humans. Or you main? I, I played as humans. Okay, uh, who's your uh, main? Uh, what are they? What were they called in that game? Like the, the heroes? Yeah, you would always usually play the archmage. Yeah, that was the okay. the main thing you did as a human. And I really enjoyed towers. Like there's this, this is why you played human, right? You could build your bulwark of towers and hide behind it and have expansions, and you could tower rush, which was something they sort of patched out of the game uh, during the last years I played. Uh, but before that, I was in Germany, at least, I was rather famous for, for playing these rather cheesy strategies, uh, like tower rushes and, and towering myself in. Oh, man, that game is great. I definitely miss it. I was definitely more of a StarCraft guy myself. Did you play StarCraft? 
I love StarCraft. Uh, I I started with StarCraft, and we played a lot of... I mean, we played fast maps back then, so this is not real StarCraft, I guess, but okay. we would play a lot. And um, then when WarCraft came out, I moved to that. And now I just actually recently started playing a little StarCraft 2 with a friend again. But it's it's weird that once you've been... Or at least for me, once I've been that good at an RTS, at a Blizzard RTS, I should say, because they're all very similar in a way... Um, I can't just play them for fun anymore, right? If I play StarCraft 2 now, I get frustrated really hard and fast because I realize that I'm very, very bad and how yeah. good I w- how much I would have to play to be as good as I expect to be. So it really frustrates me. And it only works if I play 2 and 2 or team games because then it's more of a fun thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I would often play games where I'd do 4v4, but it was just me <laughs> with, <laughs> with three randos as allies. But, yeah. oh man, when they kicked or dropped or quit or rage quit or whatever, it, it made me so angry because it was like, well, now we lost and yeah. I just have to take over their base and lose. Um, it, yeah, I think that, that a big part of why, for me at least, um, I'm too old for these kind of games, for these hardcore competitive games. Like, StarCraft, WarCraft, StarCraft 2, they are, like, every little mistake you make is so hard and you only have yourself to blame. It's not like if you're playing Dota or, or, or League of Legends or something, there's five people in the team. You can always blame someone else for losing. <laughs> you, you make a mistake, but you're still, yeah, we lost because that guy fucked up on this lane or something. And you can always do that. But if you're playing WarCraft 3, you can't. You just lost yourself. And that means you have to put all the work in and you can't just win a match because somebody else did great, right? I mean, maybe you didn't play that well, but you win a match because the other people in your team played well. That doesn't work in these one-on-one games and they are so hardcore competitive and they frustrate me a lot due to this because I don't have the time and energy to put in that anymore. Oh, yeah, man. Playing the game for like probably six to ten hours a day just to get good does not sound yeah. fun. <laughs> it is real sort of, but I just can't do it anymore. It's just too uh-uh. old. I totally understand. So before there's there's a game why brought you talking about. I won't, I don't want to bring yeah. it up yet. But before you made that game, you made a game called Last Tinker City of Colors. And I was curious what you guys thought about that. I know it was a PS4 PC exclusive about what uh 2014. Yeah. Era? Um so we started that during our studies as sort of okay, so basically the game is a third person action adventure thing. And it has a very handcrafted look, like it's just 3D world made of paper, papier-mâché. It's very colorful. It looks like a children's book in a way. Um, it's very beautiful, I still think. Um, it is. Yeah, we, we made that during our studies. We started it. And it was sort of this thing that we wanted to make look especially cool so we could get a job after studying, basically. We did never plan to make this a whole game. And then we sent it to award shows in Germany and and people in the industry started seeing it and they started encouraging us that we should uh, make a company and make The Last Tinker. And so we did and we got a publishing deal with Unity Games back then. And so this happened and we then worked like 18 months or something, I don't remember the exact time on that game made it for PC released it it's made a billion dollars yeah now we're rich and now we're just <laughs> doing this stuff for fun <laughs> uh, no we, we actually didn't make any money from it basically it was a, it's a huge flop uh, compared to the production cost but that was yeah it's a, there's a lot of factors in that right I mean there's marketing we had a lot of bad luck during our launch weekend stuff like that I still think it's a it's a 
fun game. It's a unique and cool game in a way. It has a lot of flaws, but I think that's very expected if you're a team of like nine people coming straight from your studies. Nobody knows anything about real game development, and then you just start making a game like that. I mean, we knew some stuff, but if you look back at it, the the guy who signed us, he's awesome, but I wouldn't have signed us, I guess. It's, it's a miracle I, it turned out good. I think it looks amazing, man. I think if that game was released on Switch today, you guys would be singing a different tale. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, it was a learning experience because you guys didn't make tons of money off of it, but it's... It's also like just an impressive looking game. I want to play it. I just I've been maining my Xbox and Switch yeah. and I use my PS4 primarily just for a few exclusives here and there. So Yeah, but if I we think had it the amazing. the right thanks, thanks. Uh if we had the right window and it was on a console like the Switch, it might have worked better. Uh but can you mean it will when you put it on Switch? I, yeah, it will if you put it I, we, <laughs> yeah, I think we just patched it actually or just recently because we made some changes to it uh, with the engine. But overall, yeah, this is this is not going to run on Switch as well, especially because it is already so burned, right? I mean, we could maybe make it run, uh, which would take half a year for all of our programmers or something. And then you look at the game that really didn't sell well. And do you want to take that risk, like putting it out again, competing yes. with Mario <laughs> ahead of time, all these games? I don't know. Um, especially because it, it's it's rather misleading, right? There's There's a big problem with the game is that people look at it and they think it's a platformer. Like Banjo oh, Kazooie and stuff like that. No, it's not a platformer. It you, there is no jump mechanic. It's it's auto jumping, right? It's like uh, Assassin's like Creed in a way. Yeah, yeah, yes. like Zelda. Yes. You hold down a button and you do the jumping. And we always wanted it to feel like a Banjo Kazooie game in a way, but have it play differently. And this is what we did, and I think that succeeded. But all people or many people look at it, and then they're like, "Wait, this is not a platformer. You lied to me," and uh, they get angry. You lied to us, Moritz. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, this is like in the Steam forums. You read this every third post is about, "Well, yeah, this is yeah. not a platformer." It's also tagged as a platformer because the users <laughs> tagged it as a platformer, and you're like, "No, it's not, guys." But thanks. Well, you specifically should go to each and every house of every person on Steam who's complained and apologize. Yes. <laughs> and it's so hard because are... we, it's our fault in a way because we marketed no, it as in the, being in the vein of Banjo-Kazooie and being, but we meant the feel and the world. And I think we yeah. succeeded a lot there, but the mechanics are not Banjo-Kazooie. So. Here's the thing. If somebody really was like that angry, they should have just gone and watched a video on YouTube. I'm sure your guys' trailer or any any Let's Play would show that it's not like a collect-a-thon jump yeah. around the world do triple flips type that, stuff that's true so, that's true so i literally just saw it on psn one day i was like wow this looks cool i didn't even realize you guys made it till the game <laughs> i brought you on and i was like what you guys made last tanker yeah, that's it's awesome very different. It looked really it's cool. very different yeah um anyways i brought you on to talk about the game that you released i guess <laughs> two years ago yeah, now but uh, last year on console shadow tactics blades of the shogun if you don't mind uh tell tell me a little bit about it yes so shadow tactics is a real-time tactical stealth game uh great genre it's <laughs> sort of a top-down game where you control like looking like a strategy game from an isometric perspective sort of and you're controlling two to five characters um, in a, on huge maps and you kind of stealth your way through there and you can basically there's a lot of guards patrolling around and you can look at their vision which is key to the thing uh, to the game you can see their vision cone and then kind of play around that and each of your characters has a set of, of different skills that really make them feel very different and, and have their own personalities and their own play style 
And so you kind of have to use these skills and combinations as the game progresses in even harder combinations to get through it. And you will die a lot, you will fail a lot because the game is very, very hard. It's really a hardcore stealth game, and but it's still a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, and what uh, would you mind explaining what the setting is? Because yes, this is what I course, think makes yeah. it really interesting. I forgot about that as usual. Uh, no. Because I always think <laughs> people cool. know. Uh, it's um, it's an Edo Japan, so that's about 1600 in Japan. where Next to Munich, Germany. Yeah, it's very close <laughs> to our, our home base, so it was very easy to get the culture yeah. right. <laughs> Walked uh, outside, looked at around the town, then you modeled the characters. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks for Google Maps. Maps. Uh, if they add this history version that I'm always looking for, that you can go back in time as well, that would be so awesome. Google, get on it. Getting all this, this like... Getting visual references for how things looked in 1600 Japan is not easy. Like we had, there's this one huge fight we had in the studio, which was going on for like a long, long time, and it was about: Do they have wagons with two wheels or four wheels? Which existed? Oh. Which one did they use mostly? Because we have these models of four-wheeled wagons, but we were like doubting that they actually had that at some point or used it. So yeah, this is the sort of stuff that you obsess over. What did, did they have two wheels or four wheels? I do not know. I think they had both, <laughs> and we have both in the game, and I frankly don't care anymore. It was something with, especially one artist, we always make fun of it, because like, it's a joke we all share. Um, he yeah. was always against the four-wheeled wagons. Um, Shout-outs to Jem. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, we it's, it's, it's just a fun story we have now. So you put six wheels on the wagons. Just to yeah, six to wheel. eight to make him explode. <laughs> <laughs> so um oh, so you've got you mentioned two to five characters who are these characters because they're all pretty cool yeah so the the first character you meet and also kind of the yeah that is a little weird but i will call him the main character for now he's the main character from a from gameplay perspective but for the story it's actually someone else um which is weird but that's how it is so his name is yeah. hayato and he's your basic ninja dude right he wears this dark uh cover for his whole body, covers his face during missions, Uh, he has a small ninja toe sword, he uses shuriken as a ranged attack, and he has a stone to distract enemies, uh, which is very ninja-like. And he's also very agile, so he's basically the all-rounder of the team, he can do anything. Um, Then you have the second character you meet, which is the main character of the story, sort of, is called Mugen, Uh, he's a big brutish samurai dude uh, who uses two swords uh, sort of a tank character he can cut down multiple enemies at once which is his main skill he can use a throw a bottle of sake which is alcohol uh, so guards see it and they try to pick it up because who doesn't like some alcohol right Off so the they ground. go there yeah, yeah it's, it's just a perfect <laughs> mechanic yeah. Uh, and yeah this is basically his thing he's also very strong so he can carry two dead bodies at once when you want to dispose of them and yeah. he can run while doing so which is very special but he cannot climb because he's very heavily armored it was uh, super useful man those two yeah. dead bodies is lifesaver a lot in the game <laughs> yeah he's super strong he's also the only character who can beat a certain enemy type but we might talk about that later okay um then we have uh takuma who you meet third he's an old man uh, used to be a ninja himself, and now he's a marksman and sort of a sniper character. He doesn't have any melee attacks anymore, but he has his leg, like he's one-legged, and he can take off his leg and turn it into a sniper rifle, and then he can snipe. Uh, so, rare. yeah, that's pretty strong. Um, and he has a small pet with him. It's a tanuki, which is... 
I don't, it's a sort of a raccoon, a Japanese raccoon. And um, he has that Everybody with him. Everybody knows what a tanuki is, okay? Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 3. Yeah, the true. Tanuki the tanuki suit, suit does it. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Uh, but that is Super Mario Brothers I think in Germany, people never know because it's not called that. But yeah. What's it called? I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I <laughs> never played Mario Bros. 3, actually. So. Oh, they need to call it the right name. Tanuki suit. Tanuki okay. suit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, sorry, continue. Uh, yeah, so yeah, he has that and he can like. like place that on the map and it distracts people by dancing it sounds weird but it's, it's funny if you see it um and then we have yuki who you meet fourth uh she's a small child who lost her parents when she was young and now is living on the streets and she's a, she's a thief and she's a little crazy but in a very sympathetic or i don't know if that's the right word in a very nice way um she's cool and she uses traps, so she can lay a trap and whistle guards towards the trap, make them lure them into their death. Um, and we have Aiko, finally, who is a Kunichi. She's a female ninja, and she can uh, disguise, which is her main power, and then she can walk freely among most guards and distract them by talking to them, so she basically uses her charms and manipulates people. This is her main skill. And that's all five. Nice, man. What's your, when you're playing, like, I know you have to use them all in different situations yeah. and contexts, but which one was your guys' most favorite to, like, play test when you're like, ah, I got to figure out how to do all this stuff against the enemy? Which one was like, oh, let's do this one? So I usually use Hayato because he's very versatile. He can do, like, the, the shuriken is extremely strong with it. You can do, like, double kills, stab someone and throw the shuriken at someone else. And That's the awesome. stone, while it, it doesn't seem very exciting because you throw it and people look in the direction, it is one of the strongest distractions because it's very efficient. It's it's very fast, quick, and you can get the stuff done you want. You don't have to set up a lot. Um, but which we always have to use most when actually testing stuff is Yuki because many of the setups have to be balanced in a way that her whistle doesn't break it. So we have to oh, yeah. use her a lot. Oh, man. Anything with whistles and, like, g dragging guards over, I imagine, was like, uh, we got to make sure she can't bring someone over from halfway across the map. Yeah, <laughs> especially, like, you're building this one setup, and there's this one guard standing there, and you don't want him to get whistled from the safe spot she's in, so you move him two meters or centimeters at some point in this direction and the other one in this, and you did a lot of that pixel-perfect moving of guards and, and cover, so you can balance her out. <laughs> Nice. Um, so we mentioned how this is set in Edo, Japan, Rannix, Germany. What inspired you guys to make Shadow Tactics? Especially like this like setting, yeah. region, all that type of stuff. So it is a, a little cheesy, but it's the story that actually happened like this. So I was doing... During our studies, we were already the, the core six to nine people that were then founding the company. And our creative director, Dom, he's the biggest Commandos fan Um yeah, we should probably mention that, by the way. Yeah, this yeah. game is exactly <laughs> like Commandos uh, from back yeah. in the days. Uh, Which is an amazing that. game. Yeah, Commandos was awesome, and, and this is our inspiration. So we, we thought we want to make a new Commandos game set in Edo, Japan. Basically, we wanted to make a Ninja Commandos game. That was the pitch. And we came to that idea because it's one of his favorite game series and genres of all time. And the genre just died like 10 years ago. No more games were released. And so we were walking down the hallway, and... In during that time, I was doing ninja rap videos, which <laughs> sounds weird as well, but I was doing some rap stuff and I was dressing up as a ninja in a very trashy way, like old Eastern movies, but it's just horribly bad, right? Uh, but it's fine. So, <laughs> totally he, normal. Yeah, totally normal stuff. And he knew that, and we were walking down the corridor, and then we were just talking, he was talking about the videos, and then we he just 
but was like, oh, why isn't there a ninja game with commandos mechanics? Because it's his favorite genre, and all of the the games that have been there previously do not really feel like stealth games from their setting, right? I mean, you have World War II, which it makes sense that you have commandos sneaking behind enemy lines, but the World War is not something you think of if you think of stealth. And yeah. Desperados is a series about Western cowboys. I mean, this is about shooting, right? Nobody thinks of stealthy cowboys. And you're not thinking of stealthy cowboys slowly creeping on their horses into the town. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's horses classic. Tiptoeing. Yeah, you, you know that picture, right? Every movie starts like that. Yeah. Uh, so, no, th- this was weird. So we kind of thought that we there had to be this game with a setting that just screamed stealth. Ninjas do that. They're like, yeah, it's ninjas. Of course it's stealth. So that's how it came to be. And um, we we didn't really know how historically accurate it had to be, right? I mean, this was very early, so there wasn't any idea of how the game would look like. And during development, it then turned out that we would actually try to be very, or let's say, at as historically accurate as we can without butchering anything. So, yeah. Yeah, when did you guys start working on it? We mentioned earlier that you finished Last Tinker in about, like, 2014. When did you guys start work on this game? So... We had an early vision of it, an early pitch, uh, directly after The Last Tinker, uh, but that was for a mobile version. And we pitched that around and it turned into this one in the end. And we really started working on it in December of 2014, I think. Yeah, December 2014, and then we worked 2015 and 2016 on it. Yeah. That's crazy. You guys got that whole game made in two years? Yeah, a little less, like 21 months. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of work, uh, but I think it, it paid off. Uh, yeah. You mentioned mobile. Um, so yes. you guys have some experience with mobile games? Yeah, between The Last Tinker and Shadow Tactics. And also before that, we, we made some mobile games, usually uh, contract work to kind of keep the studio going and pay the bills. Um, but we also had a... That was during our studies. Um, some guys, like... Dominic, the creative director, he made this prototype for one of our assignments that was about moving a balloon around. And that turned into an an iOS game called Da Vinci, which they actually made during our studies um, after coming home from from university uh, each night. And they released that to the App Store. That was pretty early. That was iPad one days. Um, And yeah, that was... Yeah, back then iPads were... Yeah, whatever. I don't want to go down that (laughs) road. But... They did that thing and released it, and it did okay, I think. And then at some point, Apple called and said, yeah, so you're nominated for this these Apple Design Award thing, uh, the student category. And we're like, okay, wow. They invited us over, and so we went there, and we won the, the Apple Design Award, and that helped a lot. Like, that helped us make deals and kind of push the company forward, and that was kind of the ground thing we had going that, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. Um, so how big is your team now, the team that worked on Shadow Tactics? On Shadow Tactics, we were 15 total. Um, this includes, I think, I hope I'm not saying but I think this includes the sound guys as well who are, we always work with the same uh, sound guys, but they are not like um, employees. They are freelancers. Okay. And yeah, also the one or two people we have keeping the studio running, that was about 15 and now we are 20. Oh, okay. Wow, man. That's a very kind of manageable team size. Yeah, it you is. Can... I think it's very important to how our studio operates and how we make our games. If we, we we saw that adding these five people alone, it adds a lot of overhead and kind of changes it. And we do not want to grow 
above <laughs> 25 people so it gets very very hard to manage we, we like to have short uh ways and just talk to someone and get st stuff done quickly don't do too many meetings and stuff like that well what are you guys are doing it's it's going well man because i don't know if you guys read but once shadow tactics came out it came out with like tons of crazy positive press from the destructoid re destructoid review the kotaku articles i'm all over the place man what do you guys think about that stuff did you get a chance to read it yeah, of course, of course. We did nothing else. But <laughs> did like, you, I, I'm you know still anything about I'm, positive I'm, reviews? Yeah, I'm still googling <laughs> Shadow Tactics in the last 24 hours every day, and it's like two years later now. So I know everything. I think <laughs> probably not, but a lot, and I think that's normal for most game devs. Um, yeah, we were blown away. We at some point realized that the game is gonna be good. Um, but you never know how good it is going to be and especially how yeah. well it's going to be received because you can make a great game and people are like, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, nah. So, yeah, uh, it's not for me or something. And, and this one really, <laughs> and we always were afraid, especially because we made this game in a genre that was dead, right? And you always yeah. question yourself, you're like, well, maybe it's dead for a reason. Maybe just nobody wants to play it anymore. And then we released the game and we realized, okay, people do want to play it anymore. And we actually saw why it died. The genre died of different reasons. It was not that nobody wanted to play it. They just didn't make it the way they wanted to play it anymore. And yeah. we did that. And so, yeah, the reviews, it was crazy. Like, it still is crazy. If I read the Steam reviews and all that, it makes us so happy. Uh, what was the coolest review? The one that you, like, read and you're like, whoa, this is cool. And you came into the office and, you, like, you shared. I'm sure you had a few of those. But what was, yeah. like, one of the more memorable ones? Or, or you can tell me a few. Um, so... <laughs> there is a lot of funny reviews on Steam, like user reviews. <laughs> I think my favorite yeah. one is is someone who played the game for hundred hours and hundred and five hours or something, and it's a negative review, and <laughs> it's only one line, and it reads, "Just like Flappy Bird." And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess. So this is one of my favorite reviews of all time. And then That's there was awesome. one review from RPG Codex. Uh, it's an RPG game forum that was very in depth, and they actually really grasped a lot of the stuff like they understood a lot of things that most reviewers did not get because they have to rush play through the game quickly and and you don't get all the nuances if you review a game i think if you're at a big uh thing especially if it's a smaller game like ours right i mean nobody knew about yeah. the game it's not like the new mass effect is coming out and you have to review it in depth and you know it's not like that and we all know how that went new mass oh, effect yeah. was great yeah that was <laughs> I, I think it, i heard it wasn't that bad actually just a big shitstorm but yeah uh i, I didn't <laughs> play anyways, it so yeah. i don't know uh yeah i think I this one <laughs> and in general, it was like reading the IGN review, leading GameSpot, all these things. And PC Gamer. Yeah, PC Gamer was, I think... I mean, they gave us a 92, which was insane. Wow. And That's that awesome. was... PC. I think my favorite ones were PC Gamer, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, IGN, because I just consume it myself all the time. It was yeah. great having that review on there. Um, but they were all great. I mean... I can't remember. There was one review that was rather negative, which was... and rather. I mean, it's a 7 out of 10. That was the worst yeah. review we got, so... Yeah, I was happy about all of them. We were just yeah, man. When I saw Destructoid gave you an eight point five, I want to say yeah. it was like they are super negative. Most reviews I mm. read from them, they have a few like positive reviews, but I feel like I'm mainly reading like, oh, this isn't great. Don't play this. I actually heard out heard about you guys from Kotaku though, because yeah. they had some guys who really liked Commandos, and they're just such a huge gaming website. Like I didn't even know what was going on, and all of a sudden they're like Commando style game set in Hito Japan, I'm like. This is awesome. <laughs> nice. So that guy was smart. The guy, uh, what what was his name again? The co-founder of the company? 
Uh, Dominic. Dominic Abbey. Dominic, man. Yeah. You gotta give him a smart. pat on the back, man. Let oh, yeah. Hey. All, every day. <laughs> he's he's the best. Um, so looking ahead, man, what are do you have any more plans for Shadow Tactics? Or is it kind of like you, you did the two console releases, PS4 and Xbox One, last August. You did the PC release December 2016. We're looking at the Switch release February <laughs> or March, man. Just give me the date. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love to do that. Uh, but sadly, we do not plan anything. There is one patch we still have for Shadow Tactics, which we have finished for like quite some time. But... And that we want to release that, it fixes a lot of bugs and it makes performance um, on PC, I should say, a lot better. Because the patch basically is all the optimization we did for the console versions, which was a huge pain to make. Um, so the game runs so much faster now, it loads so much faster now, it quick, it quick saves so much faster. And this is something that we're still doing. Um, but because we had to do all these these tech changes to it, we just couldn't release the patch very early because it took very long and it took a lot of testing. Um, but this is going to be coming soon. I cannot say a date because then I would Tomorrow. lie, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, and the Switch no. version, I mean, we'd love to do it, but it just, we had a hard, really hard time getting it run on PS4 and Xbox One, and the Switch is yeah. not as strong as those consoles. So we'd love to do it, but we just can't. And that's basically all for Shadow Tactics. We're working on a new game for about a year now already, so we're hard in production on that and as we said before we are like 20 people we can't have two projects running at the same time right now just not enough manpower yeah you mentioned quick saving and loading like that's a super important part of modern gaming that i feel like it's thrown to the wayside in terms of like for better graphics or whatever higher first uh frames per second but um how did you guys get such quick like i think your load times are like under a minute or something like that on console yeah, even they're, they're like 10 seconds or something or even less that's, three to four seconds sometimes that's crazy i know there's the original load times kind of long yeah. when you load into the yeah map, that but. that is something that is also for the pc version at least fixed now or a lot better um so i don't know the technical details because i'm not a programmer um dominic actually did the safe system or dom um he is not only the creative director, but he used to be the tech lead as well, which he's not okay. anymore because that was just too much work. Um, so he did that. He could tell you details. Uh, I don't know how they do it, but it was a lot of work. And um, I think it's something that for for our genre and for the vision we have for it, and if you think of Commandos, how Commandos play it, it's essential. It's it's part of the yep. loop. We we always view it as, as part of the core loop. There's people who complain about it and say it's safe scum the game and something like that, but that's fine. I mean, that's true, right? I mean, for us, that is the game. You just quick is, load yeah. all the time and you can try everything you want. You just, you don't never have to feel like, oh, if I do this, then maybe everything's broken afterwards. You just try it and then you just reload. Yep. And for that, it was very important to have the fast quick save times. Um, I think many games don't need that because it's not their core loop. So doing all that optimization and it that takes a lot of stuff is not something they they can do um, and they have to do. I think so. It, it kind of went away, but for us it's important. So we took it in again. Yeah, and you guys are using Unity, right, as your yeah. primary engine? Yeah. Yeah, that's a difficult one to work with, especially on your Switch ports you're making. But no jokes about Switch ports. But anyways, I know they are. Re- it's really tricky to get load times down in unity games i've I've heard but i've only used it a little bit yeah i i think so i don't know if if that particular thing is as big in unity because as i said i'm not a programmer and but i know it was a big problem in general i think that but doing what we would have done would have been a big problem anyway because 
it's also not like if you if you do for example in Last Tinker or in most console games for example they don't have to do a real save like they can they don't have to save everything in the game right they just if you load a game they will just reset the enemies for example usually in in big games you cannot save during combat and yeah one of the big reasons at least i think so is because they would have to save like is the enemy having his sword and when he's going to hit you in the next second or not they just reset the enemy and he's back there and then he just starts reacting to you again if you load for our game that wouldn't work like you save and everything is the same. Like, you will get seen in exactly the same way. Every guard on the whole map is saved. Every position is saved. Everywhere where he looks is saved. So we basically just save the whole thing. And that's something people don't do usually. Um, so getting that done was a big challenge. And we also, like, uh, Dominic, we, we visited um, a conference in Barcelona, a game conference. And Pyro Studios, who made Commandos, they are from Spain. And the guy who's the creative or the director of, of Commandos 1 and 2, um, called Gonzo, he invited us there, basically, because he played Shadow Tactics and thought it was great. And so we went there and we talked to him. And we also talked to one of the programmers. And he was the one doing the safe system in Commandos. And Dom was always like, man, I don't know if I'm doing this right. It's, there has to be a way, right? All these clever people, they have to know how to write the perfect safe system. He talks to that guy and basically... They did it the same way we did, and it was also extremely hard. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's worth it, man. Because to be able to save, like you said, if you guys would have chosen an auto saving system, I think that game would it wouldn't be half as good as it is today. So, thanks. Yeah, um, that's true. You guys did such an excellent job. I mean, we could probably talk about <laughs> Shout Tactics for like an hour longer. But to move ahead, I, outside of Shout Tactics, if you have time or have been playing any games recently. What's something that you recently played that you liked from, like, let's say 2017? I know it's 2018, yeah. but I'm sure you've been busy this year. <laughs> yeah, so, so. Uh, the favorite game for me, there's two which really stood out. Um, mm -hmm. It was Prey. Prey is, for me, one of the best games I have ever played. Great load times. Great load yeah, times. Yeah, they, they have long load times as well, but for, for me, that didn't really do anything to it. I, it's It's incredible. Um, I, I love the immersive sim genre, so uh, and it's the best one that's been made so far. I think personally. Did and you did you beat it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, because see, I got to the part where, and this is a spoiler, but we're not <laughs> talking about prey anyways here. But the military comes. That's all I'll yeah. say. And literally, this at that point, you just need to keep going through the space station. Yeah. And there's constant load times, and I was like. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. I, I would sometimes you just walk down a corridor and then you load and then you turn, make a turn left and you load again. That happens then. Yeah, but um, I the simple fact that you actually can walk through the space station and just it's a real place and you can fly yeah. around and then you enter right there and you enter. It's 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 so different from from many games I've played. It's insanely good and I love it. it I just love it. So it this reminded was, me of the yeah. first Bioshock. Uh, yeah, I, I played the first Bioshock. I mean, I, I, I did better. I, yeah, I think so as well. Bioshock is good, but yeah. Prey is very, very much better. Uh, I think many people compared to System Shock, but I didn't play System Shock, so I didn't, I didn't um, either. Because they also had the space station thing, and uh, you have this one station you have to go over again. But it's so cool. Great yeah, idea. Uh, that's great. And and you mentioned a second game. Yes, that would be What Remains of Edith Finch, which is oh, just a, a masterpiece. I think. Did you play and Gone Home? 
I did not actually. I, I oh, started man. at some point, but now I think it's just too late because I know everything about the game. There is to know. You hear so much about yeah. it. I listen to the podcast that Steve Gainer does a lot. So he talks about it there a lot. And it, it's just, I don't think it would be the same for me to just know everything about the game and then play it. Um, but I, yeah, you need to, you should play it. But if you know the story now, it's it loses a lot of its yeah. appeal because I didn't know what I was getting into. It's amazing. But what did you like about what remains of Edith Finch? I enjoyed the game as well a lot too. What I really liked was that, for me at least, it is the first game to really, in some of the small vignettes they have in there, kind of manages to capture, uh, to to combine story and gameplay. Like they make you feel a certain way through the controls and through the thing that you're playing and you kind of are aligned emotionally with the character that you're playing and this is something that is very very hard to do right i mean the, the worst example for this would be the uh the the pay press a to pay respects thing or something oh, yeah. from from <laughs> battlefield or what that was uh, call of duty call of duty yeah. yeah this is kind of the complete different thing right they just there's no alignment there you're just yeah okay i press the button i guess and with edith finch you're in these things and they're they're perfectly crafted and you just play this thing and and it it just pulls you in and you feel the way you're supposed to feel and this is something that only a game can do i think so it tells stories in a way that a movie couldn't they could tell the same story but it would be different and it would feel different same thing with the book this is one of the few games that actually manages to tell a story through gameplay mechanics in a way that only a game can and that's why i just love it Oh man, it it really is amazing. I would say the brother story, the one where you're chopping fish, yeah. is probably one of the best stories that is, in that game. Especially, yeah, from that point I mentioned with how the mechanics and the visuals and everything works together, that is my favorite as well. It's it's great. And there was it's, a it's third a, game that I, that I actually I just now thinking of it that I played a lot. It was Destiny Two, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you get your light level up to max or whatever three hundred. Yeah, yeah, uh, two hundred ninety nine. I think I stopped okay. right before the. But we we did at the company. We had some people. We did our clan and we we beat the raid and we had some a lot of fun there. It's stopped now. We haven't played for quite some time, but in the beginning, it was just the perfect game to just come home from work, chill out, and shoot some headshots and talk. I wish I loved that game, man. The mechanics are excellent. It plays like the best Halos ever played, but I just I can't get into it. Hmm. Tried for a long time. Um, anyways, I don't want to go off about Destiny Two <laughs> very much, but uh, would you mind leaving like the listeners with like maybe a couple pieces of advice if they want to get into the games industry or like create games or or do something game related? Yeah, sure. So. I'm, I might not be the best person to talk to about this because I haven't You're the best, applied. Uh, yeah, uh, I haven't applied to any company or something, so my, the advice I give you might be wrong. But what I hear a lot, and also what we look for, is if you want to get into games, just start making games and do that however you can. Do it if you're on your own, make a small indie game. If you're studying game design, you will meet people and and do projects together, and start making projects and the most important part is finish those projects don't just start five games and have five prototypes lying around because many people can have an idea and make a prototype that's sort of fun very few people can actually finish that thing and have the endurance it takes to to spend as much time as you spend for the prototype or 10 times as much time to finish that thing and do all the disgusting stuff that has to come in the end of development that's not as cool and flashy and fun as prototyping a mechanic or putting a song in or something and so focus on it finish it so 
scope down, have a small scope um, that you actually can finish it and don't make an MMO, make a small platformer <laughs> or something. And MMOs are easy, man. That's the easiest. Yeah, it's so easy, right? <laughs> just, just do the multiplayer thing. Everybody can do it. Um, people get into the game. <laughs> I, I, we, we don't even, like, we don't trust ourselves in doing a game for five people. So, yeah, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, do that. Make games, finish them, and show up to wherever you can where the industry is around you. Maybe there's small meetups of game devs in your area or in a city close to you. Go there, talk to people, show your game, show your face. You don't have to kind of be there all the time, but just be part of the community and start to be part of the community. And I think that helps a lot with, with getting jobs and, you know. Yeah, you know what? Um, I brought a few guests on before you, and the common refrain I've heard is finish something. Like a lot of people say, like, start something, but make sure you finish it. And I think that's a really good piece of advice you give to everyone. I think everybody can start making stuff. I've started making a lot of things in Unity. But finishing something is seems to be, like, the most essential part of making the game. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you don't have to finish everything, right? I mean, you can start yeah. some goofy idea and you just say, oh, no, I'm not going to finish that. But if you have a portfolio of, of 15 prototypes we will look differently at it than if you have one of maybe two finished games, right? Two finished things. And we, we can just play these and I can see what your thoughts were behind it, right? It's not just a prototype mechanic. Maybe there's a, especially from a game design standpoint, maybe there's like there's a tutorial in there. There's learning in there. There's stuff in there that you have to think about if you make a whole game. Um, and Or maybe you just left all of that out, but you can do that if you have a reason for it. So still make a whole game and not just a prototype where I don't know why you do what you do. <laughs> Wait, so you want a game where there's no explanation, uh, <laughs> Minecraft-like, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I love but, it, but just make a very complex game with no explanation yeah. and then send it to us <laughs> in an application. That's perfect. We love that. I'm sure people love that. They'll, they can't <laughs> wait to play that uh, when they're hiring someone. Um, well, we're going to head out pretty soon, but I want you to get a proper chance to, like, you know, give out your Twitter, tell people where they can find the game, all that type of jazz, man. Yeah. Plug anything you want. Thanks. So uh, you should do two things first you should play shadow tactics and, and then buy it then buy it you can play you a demo because we actually have a demo on the consoles and on steam and you can play the first one level completely and the second one a part of it and you also take your progress to the next uh, if you buy the game so you don't have to replay stuff so do that and the second one is if you're interested in maybe you like Shadow Tactics and you want to know more about what we're going to do in the future because our next game is going to be similar to Shadow Tactics, um, you should follow our mailing list. Now, I don't know where that works. You have to Google it. That's like the best pitch ever. Follow our <laughs> spam email list and Google it. Um, but there's Find no spam on it. it. Yeah, there's no spam. We just really, uh, there's news about our new projects and new betas. If you want to sign up for a better or something, that's all coming there and there's no spam at all. Um, no unnecessary information find out I think you can find that on our homepage which is mimimi.games there should be a link to that and yeah the yeah, Twitter handle for your mailing list right now yeah, man, it, so we can give them the okay see. I think it's you just all you do is mimimi.games and then halfway down the page you just type in your email and hit sign up yeah so perfect. there's no actual like you don't send them an email or something just go to mimimi.games yeah and look at the picture go. of the dog at the there's a dog right there on the front okay <laughs> That's yeah, that's that's Link. At. That's Link. He's the he's the best. Um, he's our, the mascot right here. <laughs> he's our sound guy. He actually passed away uh, this year. It's very sad. Oh no, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's fine. Terrible. I mean, he was very old, um, yeah. but we love him. So 
Um, yeah, and then the the Twitter handle thing, which is always a little complicated because they have a very stupid name that comes from the esports gaming times. It's at Korugnol, which is C O R U G N O L L, and you can follow me there. I do not tweet that much, but I sometimes ask questions like, "What would you like to see as DLC?" and then you can vote on that, and then we might do that. That's awesome, man. I can't recommend it enough. You guys really need to check out Shadow Tactics. I mean, I would say buy it. It's often on sale. Pick it up. But at least play the demo. It's on everything. You can try it out anywhere. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to hear about your next game, man. I'm hoping we'll find out something about it this year, maybe. Maybe you can't, like, tell us what it is, but will we at least hear about it, you think? Yeah. That There should be an announcement this year. Okay. Excellent, man. Thank you so much, Moritz. It Thank was you. awesome talking to you, man. Um, all right, well, have a great day. You See too. You. Bye. Peace. That's uh, to us people that can feel things, it, it, uh, it hurts.